Thank you for downloading and or streaming Recasted, Episode 4. Today, Jesse and I will be recasting the 1987 release and cult classic, The Princess Bride. This will make three out of four podcasts, recasting one of my top five all-time favorite movies. But before we dive into that, we did end up getting six total votes for who casted Armageddon better. We tied three to three. Shamefully, my friend Clem voted for Jesse's cast. The What If podcast took my cast, and they were supposed to co-host with us on this one. But unfortunately, we just couldn't work out a time, so maybe we'll get that for a future episode. We'd still love to hear back from you guys. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, it's at Recasted Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Recasted Podcast. You can email us, recastedpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any feedback. Jesse, anything to add? Only that I definitely think it's fun and, and topical that we're going to recast this as news starts to pour out that there's some brushback, some positive and negative about the potential for this movie being recasted in real life so i mean we were talking about this for several months like you had noted it is one of your favorite films and just in the past few weeks we've seen news about this movie potentially being recasted and rebooted and now most of what i'm seeing is negative and people don't want this movie to be redone they would like it to stay in the in, in their cherished memories for as long as possible i think the reason people are upset about it is because they haven't seen our cast yet or by our cast, I mean my cast. I liked where you started, didn't like where you finished. All right, so that said, are we ready to get going with The Princess Bride? Let's roll, baby. All right, let's do it. to tackle the 1987 Rob Reiner film, The Princess Bride. I guess you would refer to it as a rom-com slash action adventure. You know, sword fighting, there's romance story, there's adventure stuff, there's giants, it's fantasy. We could add that into the genres. I guess our timing on this is perfect. As Jesse mentioned in the opening, they are talking about possibly rebooting this movie, so it'll be interesting to see who they end up casting and you know who we cast. I doubt they'll take any of our suggestions because we would know what we're doing and Hollywood really doesn't. This movie didn't really have a large budget initially, so a lot of the actors at the time weren't really huge, but given what an enormous success and cult classic has become, I've given us the few good men treatment and given us both unlimited budgets. Much appreciated, Wayne. Thank you. Not a problem. So, Jesse, who are we going to start off with? All right, so uh, we're going to start off this movie with Wesley, played by Carrie Elways. A lot of you may know him from Oxford Blues, Days of Thunder, Liar Liar, Saw. A really great actor. This is the first time that I remember seeing him. Then again, you know, I remember seeing this and Liar Liar probably close to the same time as I was growing up, as I was born in 89. So this movie came out prior to me being born. Wesley, and this movie starts out being this... I don't want to say slave, but he, he certainly is a, a helper of sorts, and, and he's very obedient. He follows up any request that's made by Buttercup with As You Wish. So he's super obedient, super loyal, and he's a very stunning guy, very young, handsome, dapper guy. We just don't know much about him until the movie unfolds and we find out that there's a bit more uh, about him as time goes on. My casting for this character uh, is someone that uh, I got to know a lot over the past six months as I binged a series that he certainly stars in. And to me, he has a lot of mystery about him. We find out that this actor is really a, a great dedicated person, a swordsman, and a fantastic person. So my actor is... Kit Harrington. We'd know him from Game of Thrones, you know, Winter's Coming. In the very end of that series, spoiler alert, he's the big guy. He, he's the one that should have been sitting on that throne. So yeah, again, I got uh, Kit Harrington playing Wesley in this film. I can see that. Wesley, to me, didn't have to have wavy blonde hair. He just needed to be somebody who you would buy as the Dread Pirate Roberts, somebody who would be good at fencing, who would be savvy. And yeah, I can see Kit Harrington as a role. I guess obviously the only role everyone really knows him from is Game of Thrones. He's more of a quiet character, and I know that Wesley's not super outspoken, so it'd be curious for me to see Kit Harrington in a little bit more of a chatty role. Yeah, I mean, like I tried to touch on, Wesley starts out quiet, and we, you know, he gets more chatty and outspoken and confident as we learn more about him as the film goes. So, and I think that that correlates with our timeline of Jon Snow and Kit Harrington portrayal of him along the Game of Thrones series. He definitely checks a few boxes. When I look at Wesley, I definitely see somebody who's got to be good-looking, not necessarily a dreamboat, Brad Pitt, you know, sexiest man alive. It's just got to be somebody who is good-looking, believable that he would get Princess Buttercup. Well, she's not a princess at the time that he goes for her, but he would get her. He is going to be athletic. I mean, he climbs, he fences, 
He fights and wrestles, so he's got to be fairly athletic. He's got to have some comedic timing. That's another area where I think maybe Kit Harrington, I haven't seen that. Doesn't mean he doesn't have it. I'd like to see somebody who can get a couple of laughs because this movie, as far as it's an action adventure, as we talk about a fantasy type movie, there's so much comedy in it, and the comedy is so subtle that I think you have to have a certain comedic timing to hit that. The character I went with actually is a little-known actor. I definitely didn't take full advantage of our budget here on any of these roles, I don't think. Basically, though, I went with somebody who's got that wavy hair, the charming good looks, but not super dashing. He's a dramatic actor. You might have seen him in Mindhunter. He's also very good with comedic timing. He's probably most famous for being the voice of Kristoff in Frozen, and he's also in the Broadway play Hamilton. He plays King George, who might be one of my favorite characters, and that is Jonathan Groff. Again, not a very big acting resume he's done a bunch of stuff but i think he looks the part and from what i've seen him in he is funny he is dramatic and he does have that athletic build good looking guy so that's kind of where i went with that one definitely looks the the part for sure you know they have very stunning looks about them like you said you know you're not going to find them on on front pages of magazines but these guys are certainly a dreamboat so i think you killed it as far as the looks go i'd have to familiarize myself with what he's done acting wise mindhunter is certainly one of those things i I have on my list so i'll dive into that and then hopefully learn more about him but looks wise spot on to be seen um, on my end for as far as his, his acting ability yeah, for sure, not a huge name, not somebody that you would know by name recognition, but neither was Carrie Elways after doing Oxford Blues and Lady Jane. So I think that he's got a little bit more behind him or a little bit more on the IMDb page at the time, but this could be his breakout role, so I'm giving him the big shot, the big opportunity. Yeah, going from Netflix to the big screen. From Wesley, our male lead, we're going to go to Buttercup, our female lead, eventually Princess Buttercup. I'm always curious how she ends up owning that farm. You know, does she have parents who are alive and she's like their daughter and they run the farm? Does she run the farm and she inherit it? They don't really go into her backstory much, but we just know that she's a commoner. Humperdinck refers to her as such. She's like, she was just like you and now she's a princess. She's in charge of Wesley. She does have some sort of authority on the farm, which makes me think she owns it in some way, shape, or form. But she's not a princess when we first see her. She's originally played in this movie by Robin Wright, who at the time was Robin Wright Penn. She was married to Sean Penn for about 13, 14 years. Basically, prior to this movie, she'd done some TV, Santa Barbara. She went on after this movie to be Jenny in Forrest Gump. She was in House of Cards. She's Claire Underwood in Wonder Woman. She's Antiope or Antiope, whatever that girl's name is. Wonder Woman's mom, essentially. So looking at how she played this role, I figured it had to be somebody who was a very strong woman type quality. She seems very independent. Like I said, she is running this farm. She doesn't need help from anybody. She is very bossy, so she has that kind of independence. I also feel like she's going to be very brave. You see her encounters with her kidnappers and with marrying Prince Humperdinck and what she's facing. She definitely seems very brave and strong and, of course, extremely beautiful because of all the common women out there. The prince picked this common woman, so there had to be something about her. And She's probably the most beautiful woman in the land that nobody knows about until she becomes a princess. And I figure she's probably going to be in the 25-year-old range is what I got for a vibe. So the, the actress that I went with is somebody who I really enjoyed in the TV show Heroes. She always plays a very strong person. She always plays a very brave type person. So she hit those check marks and she's extremely pretty. And that's Hayden Pentier. I think that she's got the blonde hair. She's got the pretty young face. She is in the show Nashville now. So I think that she's going to be somebody who probably more so than my Jonathan Groff person, she's a, a bigger name that people would know. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we first see her as a little annoying, you know, football coach's daughter and Remember the Titans. She grows right up into that Nashville role. Obviously, always been a cutie and is now a, a bit of a stunner. So great pick. You know, she, from the young age and Remember the Titans, has a, a bit of a confidence and uh, bravado about her. And I'm sure that's only continued to grow. So great pick having a confident, drop-dead, gorgeous woman as this role. I think that she also looks about the same age as Jonathan Groff. So I think the two of them are going to look about the right Wesley Buttercup. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely important that you know you pick people for the, these lead roles that are going to mesh age-wise because you know they end up falling for each other you know that's where the movie starts and ends so super important that you pick people that are close in age my choice for this role and thanks for you know the, the backstory i don't really need to touch upon buttercup too much my choice for buttercup is actually naomi scott she's actually in the pink ranger when she was in the, the most recent iteration of the Power Rangers movie. She also played Jasmine in the newest Aladdin movie. So uh, I think she's got that fierceness. She's got confidence. You know, she's brave. She's beautiful. She definitely hits those marks that I think is definitely needed to play this role alongside Kit Harrington for my reprisal. 
Definitely, and I think that seeing the way that the cast is going to mesh as well and seeing how they play against each other, going with Kit Harrington, who is a little bit of a darker features-type person than Carrie Elway's, and now going with Naomi Scott, who again is a little bit darker than Buttercup, they definitely seem to match up with each other well in that sense. And I do think that, like my characters, they definitely are about the same age range, so I can definitely see them. So another good pick. I think that so far uh, the cast are starting off really well, and I like the Naomi Scott pick i have no issue whatsoever with her i think in the aladdin movie she definitely plays that strong she wants to be the sultan so i can see her leading the country as princess buttercup yeah I mean, hand up i still have yet to see the newest aladdin movie uh, i heard great things and especially i've heard great things from, from you wayne so i'll have to check it out jasmine was always the princess that i found to be my favorite growing up if i can say that so uh, i think you know naomi scott will play this role really well one other thing that I want to mention about her is she's actually going to be one of Charlie's Angels coming up in, the, in that new reboot. She's going to be one of the three, along with the young lady that was in the Twilight series, Kristen Stewart. And the third one's going to escape me right now. I'm sure we can find it at some point. But yeah, Naomi Scott, the Pink Ranger, and Jasmine. Fantastic. Or her next movie could be The Princess Bride. We'll have to see. Boom, boom, boom. All right, so next up in our recasting of The Princess Bride is who I would go on and say is the main antagonist, and that would be Prince Humperdinck. He is actually played by Chris Sarandon, Susan Sarandon's first husband. A lot of our listeners will know him as the voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. He's also in some other movies prior to that, but, you know, a lot of us will know that that famous voice from Tim Burton's, you know, is it a Halloween movie? Is it a Christmas movie? We'll touch base with that later. But my casting for this gentleman is someone who I think also plays a great antagonist in, in movies these days, and that is Michael Fassbender. We would know him from Assassin's Creed, X-Men, um, as he plays Magneto. I think he's got a very strong presence, a, a bit of intimidation about him. I think he's got a, a great physical stature, someone who could wear that royal clothing and be known as someone who should be feared as royalty, as someone who can handle themselves in hand-to-hand combat. I really enjoyed Michael Fassbender as Magneto. I think he was one of the most intimidating villains that we've seen in comic book movies prior to Thanos. So, yeah, Michael Fassbender is going to be my Prince Umperdinck. I like Michael Fassbender. I think that the one knock I would have on him in terms of characteristics for the character is he definitely can play a bad guy. Obviously, as Magneto, the way they portray him in the early movies anyways, he's kind of almost like an anti-hero where he's a bad guy, not a bad guy, wants to help, doesn't want to help. He's very conflicted. So he always, I think, kind of plays somewhat of a good guy, even if he's a conflicted good guy. With Humperdinck, I was looking for somebody a little bit smarmier, like douchier. I feel like Fassbender doesn't come across, at least in the movies I've seen him in, doesn't come across as, you know... He's British. It'll come off as douchey. I guess, okay. Maybe stick with the accent and then it'll play out. But yeah, otherwise, I think he's a tremendous actor. He's a very good actor. I can see where you're using up the budget there, the unlimited budget on Fassbender. Yeah, buddy. So I do think that he's going to do a great job. It does make the movie kind of take a different tone. If, if you ask me. So now from here, I'm going to see where this movie's going because you've got Kit Harrington, who is a little bit more of a darker actor, a little bit more serious actor. And then you go with Fassbender, again, a more dramatic, more serious actor. So I'm, I'm curious to see if the rest of your cast is going to maybe turn this movie from a little less lighthearted, I guess. Take it to that kind of a place, a little less lighthearted type place. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, we'll have to see, you know, to be continued. So please don't stop the podcast here. But I'm really, you know, my gears were turning as I was making these picks. And to me, he was just that British villain that I thought could slide right in here and actually play really well across from Jon Snow slash Kit Harrington. Now, and as I mentioned, my boxes that I'm trying to check off for the character, what are they, who are they, what type of character are we looking for? I was looking at somebody, like I said, smarmy, douchey, smug, very punchable face was a quality I wanted them to have. A guy that you love to hate. Like As soon as you see him on screen, you're like, I just don't like that guy. You casted Clem. Uh, that would be really funny, and he would definitely fit the role if anyone knew who he was. I did go with a little bit bigger actor than Clem. I went with our modern-day douchey bad guy, and that's Rob Lowe. I think that when you see him as the bad guy in Wayne's World, he's the bad guy in Tommy Boy. He definitely is the quintessential good-looking older guy. And to me, he's the 2019 version of Punchable Face. If you were to look it up in the dictionary and say, who has a punchable face nowadays? It would be Rob Lowe. Yeah, I mean, I guess you haven't watched as much Parks and Rec as me because uh, he's one of my favorite characters on that show. But uh, I can definitely see what you're saying. You know, you you made a key reference there to Wayne's World. And I think, you know, I could definitely see myself winding up and punching this guy right in the kisser. I like it. I guess, you know, I find him to be more comedic um, in some of the stuff that I've seen him play in. But I know he's a very versatile guy and I'm sure he could kill this role. So like you, I'm excited to see how, you know, the rest of your cast rolls out. But... So far, you know, I think you've got some really awesome pieces. 
Yeah, I think this is definitely the part of the program where we've kind of taken a different fork in the road. We've taken different roads at the fork, which is, again, I'm trying to maintain that integrity of the lighthearted, comedic nature of it. I think that Rob Lowe does have that comedic timing. When I think of Chris Sarandon in the role, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when he says, unless I am wrong, and I'm never wrong. And I think that's totally could be on my tombstone when I die. And so I connected with that part of the character. He is funny. And so I wanted to keep that funniness going. Groth has that comedy background. Hayden Pentier, she hasn't really done a lot of comedy, but I felt like she could roll into that softer tone. Rob Lowe's a little bit softer, comedic. So you can see that's the road I'm going down. I see you're kind of going down a little bit more of a serious role, which is fine. I think The Princess Bride in a little bit more of a serious tone would be fantastic. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to uh, see where both of us end up. Now we're going to get into the first of the three captors of Buttercup, and that is going to be Indigo Montoya, who maybe has the most memorable line in this film. It might be one of the most memorable lines in film history, which is, my name is Indigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. Everybody knows that line, even if they haven't seen the movie. That's how big this movie's become with such a small budget, is that line goes on and will live forever. He was originally played by Mandy Patinkin, not a really huge name actor. Like I said, this movie didn't have a huge budget. He was in one episode of Taxi. He was in the movie Yentl with Barbara Streisand. He did a bunch of TV stuff. And even after this movie, he just did a bunch of TV type stuff. The one thing I'm going to point out is that he is not actually Spanish. He's not a Spaniard. He is, I'm not sure what his origin is, but every movie I've seen him play in, he has just a regular American accent. He's not Antonio Banderas sounding, which I'll get into that. Basically, I didn't want to pick Antonio Banderas, who I think is the low-hanging fruit. There are two roles in this movie where you could take the easy way out. And for me, with this role, it was Antonio Banderas. And for Vizzini, who we'll get to later, it's Danny DeVito. So I wanted to stay away from the low-hanging fruit and kind of go a different direction. I wanted somebody who doesn't necessarily have to be Spanish, but looks Spanish, because they're going to have to play that role. In this movie, he looks about 45 years old, but based on the story that he tells Wesley about his dad being killed and how long, 20 years on the revenge tour, he's only about 31 years old. So he just looks old in the movie, but he's 30, 31, according to his story, and he's very likable. Even as a bad guy, there's a good nature to him, a good quality to him that I like. So I didn't want to pick somebody that you're going to hate when he kidnaps the princess. It's got to be somebody that you're rooting for. Like, I don't think this guy's that bad. So I went with somebody with a comedy background. Somebody who's done a little bit of drama on NCIS. He was in Dusk Till Dawn, the, the newest one, like the sequel that they made. Basically, he looks like Indigo, but maybe a much better looking Indigo. So if you think of like a 30-year-old dreamboat Indigo, I would have taken this guy. He's the voice of Handy Manny, but everyone's going to know him most famously as Fez in that 70s show. And that is Wilmer Valderrama. So when I was looking around, I know he's got... I don't want people to picture Fez as Indigo, because if you look up modern-day Fez, he is a very handsome guy. Yeah, he's, he's grown a beard now, which I think certainly helps him go from high school, I guess, putts. You know, I wouldn't compare him quite to uh, to Scrooge from Saved by the Bell, but when you think of that that 70s show cast, he's kind of the, the putts, you know, the, the clown of the bunch. And I think it's a great choice, Wayne. And I'm going to tell you I think it's a great choice because it's my choice as well. Oh, that's crazy. That's um, the, the first time we've ever done th that. This is the first time in four episodes that we've actually casted the same person for the same role. I started elsewhere and ended up finding myself back to Wilmer Valderrama. I was almost ashamed to put that he's the voice of Handy Manny, but you know Wayne and I are both fathers, and I know that we have listeners who have had to watch that show with their kids or at least heard about that show. But definitely the more recognizable roles for him are, are going to be in that 70s show. Uh, but yeah, you throw a beard on him, I think you know he's got the opportunity to crush this role. I think that this is where I may be able to kind of step back towards that lightheartedness with having Wilmer as my indigo. Obviously, like you said, that's probably one of the most quotable lines in all of film history. Um, and I think he could deliver it and make people smile each time he does, like he did for me, you know, or like the line does originally in the film. So I can't say I dislike your pick at all because we both went with the same actor. Likewise, no objection to your pick either. All right, so next up is the second of our captors, and that is Fezzik. Fezzik is originally played by Andre the Giant, and he is a massive man. I am a wrestling fan, my mom is a wrestling fan, and she tells me stories of Andre the Giant like I tell her about Stone Cold and, and The Rock. But this man, Andre the Giant, his hand you know, could pop a regular man's head like a grape, and so he had just the, the sheer size and intimidation, but he was also so likable in the film. Just like, you know, his persona in the ring. And so, for me, when you had previously noted that there are some low-hanging fruits, I honestly thought you were going in this direction. In 
the, my best opportunity to recast uh, Fezzik, I went with another giant wrestler who isn't as active now, but he is actually known as The Big Show. He is the tallest build wrestler since Andre the Giant. He is above seven feet tall when he came in. He was about 500 pounds. He's definitely more fit now, close to, uh, you know, 350. I mean, he is a massive human who has, you know, just a, a giant hand and I think has the acting ability, you know, wrestling, as some can either agree or disagree, is acting. It may be all scripted, but those guys can certainly have the risk out there. But I think that, you know, Big Show wrestled for about 15 plus years. And so this guy can present lines, he can present comedic lines, and he can also play a giant putz. Uh, so I think, you know, Paul Wright is his real name. He is the Big Show. And I think this is the best opportunity to cast a giant wrestler in the reprisal of the Princess Bride. I think that's a good pick, and I think that because they cast Andre the Giant, who really had no acting experience outside of acting in the ring, it's definitely a, a role where you can say, we need a really big guy, we're going to tell him what to say, we're going to coach him up and how to say things, he just needs to be big and athletic, and basically he's reading off a script, or he's memorizing a script, just like he does when he's on WWE. So, it didn't have to be somebody with a great acting ability, it didn't have to be Anthony Hopkins or somebody like that, it just needs to be somebody who could play funny, I think the big show can definitely do that, and he is the right size, for sure. That's the most difficult thing, I think, is finding a guy who's 6'11", 7 feet tall, 400 pounds, like Andre the Giant. Definitely like the role of the big show, it is a role that, again, you can go down either one of those roads of the fork, he could be comedic, or he could be a little bit more serious, so I think it will continue to fit in with your cast so far. When I think of Fezzik, he's definitely the quintessential gentle giant. You know, he's very soft, he's very caring. Billy Crystal actually made the movie My Giant with George Murray-san, was based on Andre the Giants in real life. Billy Crystal was very close friends with him after this movie. He talked about how kind he was. One of the sadder stories when you watch Andre the Giant's biography or things about the Princess Bride was when Andre the Giant was out there filming, Billy Crystal had asked him, you know, how do you enjoy filming out here and wherever it was, New Zealand, that they were filming the, the movie? And Andre the Giant said, oh, I like it a lot. And he said, well, why do you like it so much? He goes, well, people don't stare and laugh at me here. And I thought that was always kind of sad because he always had that kind of tortured soul that he was carrying around with him. But anyways, back to the movie. He's definitely a mountain of a man, 6'11", 400. He's imposing, but he's got to be soft, kind, warm-hearted. So I went with probably, again, 2019's version of The Gentle Giant, and that is Christian Naren, or Hodor, from Game of Thrones. He stands about 6'10", he's about 350, 400 pounds, and he is the modern gentle giant. If you were to ask, I think, a younger audience today, like, hey, name a gentle giant off the top of your head, like Family Feud, this guy would be the top vote. So that's why I went with this one. Again, not a very big actor outside of Game of Thrones, hasn't done a whole lot that anyone would know him from, but I went with size and I went with that soft persona. For sure. Uh, again, you know, just touching on the fact that I just recently binged that entire series. If you don't have a soft spot for Hodor by the end of that series, then you don't have a soft spot at all. I think you uh, you hit the nail on the head with getting somebody that has, you know, intimidating size, but, you know, enough compassion, you know, in his body to fill several regular humans. I think it's a great choice. If I can just tell a quick little joke uh, or story about Andre the Giant in this film, there apparently in between scenes he had let out a 30-second toot, if you can, and after that people were actually worried about his health, and the director, Rob Reiner, looked at him and said, uh, are you okay? And Andre said, I am now, boss. So uh, if you think about, you know, just how massive a human that is, I mean, he is crazy big and it's crazy sad that he, he didn't live much longer. I, I think he was uh, younger than 40, Wayne. He may have been, yeah. I know yeah, there's he, a lot of legend about this guy in terms of like drinking, you know, uh, a case of 12 bottles of wine or drinking two thirty packs of beer. He liked to drink, so. Oh yeah, those French ones do. Now we've reached the portion of the podcast where you get to hear Wayne's impressions. So I know I think I did a song last one. I may have done an impression for A Few Good Men. And one of the impressions that I do is Vicini, Wallace Shawn, who plays him. He's also the voice of Rex in Toy Story. Very distinct voice. Everyone will know him. But when my daughter's dragging her feet, one of the things I do from The Princess Bride is when Indigo says, I shall do him left-handed. And Vizzini goes, you know what a hurry we're in! And it's just, I say that to her when she's dragging her feet. And the other one I say at work every once in a while is... Did I make it clear your job is at stake? So that's my Wallace Shawn impression. Inconceivable! So I went with the... Basically, this Wallace Shawn doesn't have a whole lot of acting experience prior to this. He was in the Cosby show. I remember seeing him in a couple of episodes. And like I said, he plays uh, the voice of Rex on Toy Story. He's a short, bald, annoying guy. He's very bossy. So like I said, Danny DeVito is the low-hanging fruit if you're going to replace him. 
he does have to be a little bit shorter, but because our Andre the Giants are so large, I don't think he has to be incredibly short. Wallace Shawn, I think, is 5'3". I went with an actor who's 5'8", a little bit chubby, and what I tried to hone in on was that annoyingness, that kind of gets under your skin type of annoying. So Wallace Shawn did that with his voice. His voice was very annoying. The comedian I went with doesn't have an annoying voice, but if you've ever seen this person... He's very annoying. And I went with Ricky Gervais because this is a guy that I pictured kind of being a bumbling dummy but thinks he's incredibly smart, like a genius. And Ricky Gervais plays that. I think of him as a curator in you know, Night at the Museum when he's got that kind of I'm smarter than everybody but he's really dumb kind of role. And other than that, you really see him in a lot of stand-up comedy. The Invention of Lying is a fantastic movie. I'd recommend it to anybody. He doesn't play that type of character in, this, in that movie. So Ricky Gervais is going to be my Vicini leading the charge of the three uh, captors. Ricky Gervais is the Michael Scott of the British version of The Office, so I think that's probably where I first heard his name. I mean, he obviously has a huge list of, of uh, movies that he's been in, you know, great, good, and bad. I think it's a good choice. I also went with a comedian, um, one probably known more for his stoutness, so not very tall, not very skinny. And I actually went with Kevin James here. I, I think with our three captors, I think he could play, you know, the, I guess the, the brains of the operation. I think that, you know, we both leaned heavily into comedy when we chose this role. I think that, you know, Kevin James, you'd know him from the Paul Blart Mall Cop movies, you know, King of Queens. He was also in Hitch with Will Smith. So I think he's got the comedy, the size, the stature. I don't know if I was uh, shooting as much for uh, annoyance um, as maybe I should have been or as Wayne did. But I think short, stout, and someone who can bring that comedy, I think, because the captors to me are the funniest part of the movie. I think that, you know, he could do well in that role. Yeah, I like Kevin James as an actor. I'd say the two notes that I'd have here. One is we went from going down that path of the serious role, kind of skirting back over to my side of the road here, where you're kind of getting back into the comedy thing. That's one. And the other is that I don't know if I picture Kevin James or if I've seen him in any role where he is a leader or an authority type character. And I know that Vizzini is kind of a dummy, like a bumbling dummy. Go back he, and watch Mall Cop. Well, <laughs> if he's really considered a leader type in that. That's what I'm thinking of as somebody who's going to lead the charge uh, for these guys, so they're going to follow. Kevin James, to me, seems a little more submissive, and it could work, I guess. I just, now I'm trying to... Wallace Shawn in this film, to me, kind of seems like like he's getting these guys to blindly follow him. you got someone who's an amazing swordsman, and you got someone who is almost three times the size of him in Andre the Giant, so it almost seems like blind leadership. You know, like, I don't really know if, if watching this film, I see him go, ah, oh, that's why these guys are, are following, you know, his lead. So, I, again, I don't really know. I, I see where you got your, your annoyance uh, of the character. I just don't know if that was my particular goal. And then as far as leadership qualities... I don't know if this guy just had blackmail on these guys or what, but um, I don't know if in, in a real-life situation you're thinking that someone who's 5'3 is going to be barking orders at someone as big and intimidating size-wise as Andre the Giant or someone who has the fencing or, or swordsmanship as Indigo. It's a leadership through bullying. I mean, we talked about our previous two characters, how soft-hearted and kind-hearted they are. Those types of people are easily bullied by bullies. And Vizzini's the classic bully. You know, he's little, so he's got a Napoleon complex, and he just yells at everybody, and they're two very gentle men who are like, okay, I guess we don't want to get in trouble with this guy, and so they follow him. Again, I just can't see Kevin James barking out orders at people and having them be intimidated into following. I'd probably just have to redirect you to, to Mall Cop, but it'd be a silly attempt. The leadership is probably something we're going we're gonna to differ on there, but I think it's the best we're going to do. All right, next up is Count Rugen, who is played by Christopher Guest. He is who I'd say is, is uh, next in line to be the main antagonist in the movie. He is, calling back to what Wayne had, had mentioned about the film, he is who kills Indigo's father and who Indigo has been on a quest for the last couple of decades in hopes to find and kill. He wants to avenge his father's death. And so in thinking about that, I had to find someone who not only could play a, a good villain, but I needed to pick someone who's going to fit in with that timeline that they they fed us. So when thinking about you know my Indigo character or both of ours um, in this case um, with Wilmer, I wanted to pick someone who was going to look like he could have lived uh, a bit longer than him and actually had done the the deed of killing Indigo's father. And so. For this one, I picked someone who has great acting ability, that British accent. I tried to keep that pretty consistent throughout the film, and I went with Hugh Grant, 
I think to me just it's an innate thing where I think British people can sound a bit more intimidating, a bit more know-it-all. And I think Hugh Grant could play nice right beside Michael Fassbender. He does look a bit older than our Pumperdink and, you know, he's a bit more accomplished. So I think that he could really play that, that role well. I must say, I'm actually a little jealous. I really like this pick because I think that Hugh Grant would be a tremendous Count Rugen or Six-Fingered Man. I think that he would be amazing at it. I think that he fits right in with the comedic nature of the character, but he could still play the advisor or so to the king. I really like it. We'll get into it with mine, but I, what I think is I'm kind of jealous about is that I'm trying to go with a more comedic, keeping that light, hearty, comedic style of mine, and Hugh Grant would be the perfect fit in my cast. I'm actually going to go with a much darker character, but before I get to that, I want a really awesome pick on its own uh, as Count Rugen as Hugh Grant. I think that's fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Maybe we'll have to make a trade at the end. If we find it works out, we'll send a few first-rounders my way, and we can make a trade. Well, I think it'll be more like uh, I'll trade you a sixth for for yours and a seventh. All right, Belichick. <laughs> yeah, so Count Rugen, Christopher Guest, he was in Spinal Tap, which was directed by Rob Reiner, so that's how they knew each other. He was the main role there. Other than that, he's done a lot of smaller movies, maybe a little bit of TV. But he plays this part so well in the movie where he's kind of dark or disturbed. He's got something disturbing about his nature, but he's also very calm and almost kind of funny. There's a scene where he's torturing Wesley and he says to him, he's like, now remember, this is for posterity, so please, be honest. How do you feel? And he's just kind of funny. Like That's the funny part of his character is that lighthearted calmness. Although he is very dark, he killed Indigo's father because he wouldn't sell him a sword for an unagreed upon price. So he is going to be a very dark and disturbed person. As I mentioned, I went with a much darker actor here than you did, and I really love your pick for my cast, but I'm going to go ahead and pick somebody who I think would be even better for your cast. And I went with somebody who most people are only going to know him from the movie Saw as Jigsaw, and that's Tobin Bell. Definitely a scarier guy, I think the main thing is I wanted to pick somebody who's going to be older than Rob Lowe because he is going to be that advisor that Rob Lowe is going to trust and take advice from. He is going to come across as dark. He looks like somebody who would have killed Indigo's father. The only thing I'm missing with Tobin Bell, I think, is that lighthearted comedic nature. But otherwise, I think that he fits that Count Rugen character. Yeah, most definitely. I think you, you respect the timeline. You know, you have to find someone who's going to have had to have, have realistically been able to kill Indigo's father and, and then to have outran or, you know, outlived Indigo to this point. And then for them to have that awesome culmination, that scene where he continues to pound him with that quote, that line, um, to the point where he says, will you stop saying that? And he ends up trying to barter for his life. And, you know, he, he tells Indigo, I'll give you anything you want. Indigo says, you know, I want it with my dad. That's one of the great scenes where he's saying, you know, promise me money, power. He's like, all that I have and more. Promise me anything I ask for. And he's like, I think he says, or he says, whatever you ask for. And then and he goes, says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch, and kills him. Great uh, scene. Great scene there. Uh, he finally gets to confront the guy that killed his dad, and he gets that fulfillment of actually getting the revenge that he's been searching for. So the next two roles that we're going to cast here, we're going to do this Armageddon style like we did with Oscar and Bear. We're going to take two characters who are both in the movie together for about five or six minutes, and that's all you really see of them. But they do play a huge role in the outcome of this movie, and that's going to be Miracle Max, and it's going to be Valerie, which is Miracle Max's wife. And Miracle Max more so because he makes the miracle pill that brings Wesley back so that he can save the day at the end of the movie. He does bring a huge amount of comedy to the role because it is played by Billy Crystal, maybe one of the best stand-up comedians of all time. He just hits on every note in here, right up to the point where Valerie's introduced when he says, you know, he didn't say true love, he said to blave, and as we all know, to blave means to bluff. And his wife comes out, she says, liar, he said true love, he said true love, Max. So she was right. Carol Kane played uh, Valerie, who, if you don't know her by name, she was in License to Drive. She was one of the fairies or the, the ghost of Christmas present in Scrooged. She's a very funny person of her own right. So they got two really funny people to play these two, Miracle Max and Mrs. Miracle Max. And I wanted to do the same kind of thing, basically not getting too much into it, but I wanted to go with a comedian. And I thought, who would be modern-day Billy Crystal? I went with Jerry Seinfeld as Miracle Max. Then I said, now who should play his wife? Well, who else but Julia Louise-Dreyfus should be Mrs. Miracle Max? Wow, Seinfeld. Here you go, fans. I really like those picks. Obviously, those guys have wonderful chemistry with each other. Those guys were, you know, on uh, one of the best TV series of all time together. And I think that it, it's perfect to go with someone who has such a strong comedic background. I also did the same. I, I didn't make a stronger connection like you from, from Crystal to Seinfeld, but I think I uh, certainly stayed w with the comedy background enough. I went with someone uh, a little bit younger. I I'm not sure if uh, looking at our cast, if mine ends up being a tad bit on the younger scale than yours, but My Miracle Max ends up being Andy Samberg, 
obviously huge on, on Saturday Night Live, um, and he's done some movies, and then more recently on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he's been the lead on that. I think he could nail the voices of Miracle Max. I just really think he could do that role well. And then for Valerie, I stayed right in that same pool of Saturday Night Live, and I went with Kate McKinnon. I think both of those two could play well off each other as they have chemistry on Saturday Night Live um, and, and doing roles on there for a while. And I think Kate McKinnon, I've seen her in Ghostbusters and uh, Mastermind, I, I think is the, the show on Netflix, Masterminds, maybe it is. But she's very funny. Andy Samberg is very funny, and I think for the short time span that these two would need to be on the screen, they would bring out uh, a lot of comedy, which I think, the beginning of my cast, I think some who really enjoyed this film may have feared that I wouldn't be able to capitalize on comedy. Um, I'm trying to do that towards the middle and back end of my cast here. I do like Andy Samberg. I think that he is funny, and I do think he put the makeup on him, the old man makeup. He would be a really funny Miracle Max. I do like that. And it's funny because I was thinking Billy Crystal playing the role, and I said, all right, I need another Jewish comedian. And so that's how I got to Jerry Seinfeld. And it's funny you went the same route. The cast of Kate McKinnon, I honestly don't think Kate McKinnon is funny. So that's the hardest one for me. It's not necessarily a bad casting, I guess. It's just for me, I don't like her. I don't think she's super funny. Going with Andy Samberg, I think a good playoff of him if you're going to go to Saturday Night Live would be Tina Fey. would be kind of a funny Valerie. But I guess if you're taking them together, because we're doing these two together, I like Andy Samberg enough that I'll say I like the duo picks. But on their own, I, I, I wouldn't have liked Kate McKinnon. Yeah, I think these ones, I wouldn't say they're inconsequential like some of the roles in previous films we've done. But I think as long as you find some comedic roles, people who can do well with, with voices, because, I mean, these weren't normal voices we heard from Miracle Max and Valerie. Um, they weren't normal-looking people. So I think as long as you found someone who could provide a comedic punch, then you, you were successful. All right, so last but not least, we have the grandfather who comes in and, and starts reading the story to uh, our young lad at the beginning of the movie. And for this, I don't really know if we got a lot of strong characteristics to really base our choices off of. We just needed someone who obviously was going to be quite old, you know, needed to play that grandfather role. Someone who, you know, could connect with, with a younger soul while he's telling him a story of past times. You know, it's not going to have some of the crazier things that maybe the the younger lad was looking for as the movie was starting out. But he, he really was great at telling the story. And for me, Wayne, this is where we're really dropping the budget here. Write the check to Mr. Harrison Ford, please. Oh, fantastic. So... Definitely using up the big bulk of the budget. You, you cast everybody and you said, hey, I still got 150, 200 million left. I'll give them the Iron Man treatment and uh, 200 million for one picture. Hey, uh, come, come read a few lines, Harrison, and please fly your plane. To me, Harrison might be, I know he's an older guy and he's can play the grandfather. There's no doubt about it age-wise. I think... The grandfather me, played by Peter Falk, is so warm and gentle and inviting in the way that he talks to his kid and or the grandson. And as he's leaving, you know, he's the grandpa, maybe you come read it to me tomorrow. And he says, as you wish. It's just such a sweet scene in the movie, and he does have that sweet grandfather quality. Harrison Ford seems almost a little too intense in the sense that when the kid starts giving him a hard time, like, hey, you know, who kills Humperdinck? I picture Harrison Ford is getting angry at him. Listen and, right here, man. Yeah, he's like yelling at him, like, this is the way it is. Don't interrupt me again. There's my, my darker tone. When, it was like a, a sandwich, the way that I tried to tell this story. We started out dark. We got a, a little comedy and, and lightheartedness in the middle there. And then we're ending it off with a very sandpaper-like grandpa. Now, my grandfather actually is going to take a twist here. And it's funny that you picked Harrison Ford. It's going to be a very personal story. But basically, my dad's dad, my grandfather, I felt like looked like an old Harrison Ford. When I would see old Harrison Ford, I felt like my grandfather kind of looked like him. And him and my grandmother had a camp up in Maine. And they would, me and my sister would get dropped off up there for the summer. My parents would drop us off for a couple of weeks a year. And every night before bed, my grandmother would make us a snack. You could either have an apple or you could have a pear, some sort of fruit, or you could have a chocolate chip cookie. And I always went with a fruit because I felt like you got more of it if I was hungrier. My grandmother would read us a story. She would say, pick out a story. I don't really actually remember her reading us a story. She would read me a story. I would pick out whatever uh, I wanted her to read, and my grandmother would read it for me. And so it's a very personal pick here for the grandfather because I went with Jamie Lee Curtis. I made it his grandmother. And so kind of a shout-out to my grandmother for reading me stories when I would stay at her camp. I'm kind of going with a grandmother reading the story to her grandson. I really like that. Um, I, I feel like throughout these castings, Wayne, you're never afraid to step outside of the, the box there. So I think Jamie Lee Curtis is a great choice for this. I'm trying to find here, I'm pretty sure that she's married to uh, the gentleman that plays the Six-Fingered Man, if I remember correctly here. Oh, Christopher Guest. 
Yes, that is who she's married to and has been since 1984. So that is uh, crazy. The, the, the ties into this is pretty. It's pretty neat. Pretty neat indeed. And that will wrap up our casts for the Princess Bride. That said, we are heading into our bonus features where we're going to touch on "I Love You, I Hate You" and almost recasted some of our fan favorites. Stick around for that. Alright, thanks for sticking around for bonus features. This is where we're going to talk about the two sections, I Love You, I Hate You, and Almost Recasted. As always, we're going to start off with I Love You, I Hate You, and I'll kick it over to Jesse to talk about some of his favorite or least favorite choices of mine. Alright, so Wayne, to start off with, I loved your casting of Hodor. Again, the actor's name is... Christian Yaren. Okay, perfect. Thank you. I think he is everything you said he is as far as this generation's gentle giant. And I think you you killed that casting. I think he maybe doesn't have the exact um, you know size and stature of Andre, but he's going to deliver everything that needs to be delivered for that role. So I think it was a great job. My least favorite of your roles is Rob Lowe for Humperdinck. Personally, I just think maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, and I'm so attached to his comedic roles within Parks and Rec that I have a tough time seeing him as a bad guy. But this is probably my lightest. I hate you so far. I enjoyed the pick. I just think I have a hard enough time seeing him as a bad guy so you know I, I see him way back when I was growing up see him as the bad guy from Wayne's World but again more recency bias you know he's a funny guy he's a likable fella and for me I think that my favorite casting was definitely Hugh Grant as Count Rugen I know as soon as you said his name I thought god damn it that's why I wanted to pick for my guy because he has everything that my cast was leaning towards the heavy on comedy heavy on that smarmy Britishness and he would have been so perfect for my cast. I'm kind of mad at myself for not picking him. I'd say we've done three bonus features now, and this would probably be, of all the I Love You characters, this is the one that I love the most. Is it love or is it jealousy? Probably a little bit of both, yeah. <laughs> and then for I Hate You, I definitely would go with Kevin James as Vizzini, only because I feel like that's where your cast, which was really trending towards a darker, more serious Princess Bride, started to turn back towards comedy, thereby, I guess, confusing me a little bit as to which direction it was actually going. Uh, I'm keeping you on the edge of your seat, Wayne. Um, it's, it's a great thrill ride. Definitely would be interesting to see how everybody gels together on the set. Heading into almost recasted, we, can, we usually go roll by roll, I guess. I mean, starting with Wesley, did you have anybody who almost made it there? Uh, I think the only one that I uh, considered is uh, Taron Egerton, the young guy from the Kingsman series. I think he has the looks, again, that, that British accent, uh, the age. I think he would have fit in, in my casting. I just was too attached to, to Jon Snow um, uh, and uh, Kit Harington as soon as I saw him, and I wanted to place him in mine. I definitely like the Kit Harrington choice, so I will say, if you had picked Taron Egerton, my criticism, which would sound like a broken record, would be what you think? That he's too wimpy, I mean, he's, he's too fragile to play someone uh, for this role. Actually, I think he's pretty fit. I would say too young. I was going to go with Okay. That was, that's usually my big criticism. I just know you weren't fans of Michael Sarah and, and, and my other That 70s Show cast member, um, Eric Foreman. What, what's his real name? Why am I struggling with Topher him? Grace. Topher Grace. Um, you found them both to be scrawny um, and fragile, so I didn't know if this was kind of the same thing. To be honest with you, I haven't seen any of the Kingsman movies. I just know this guy's you know, a looker, and uh, he's obviously got some ability. I, I think he's got some skill. I believe he was on my short list as well. Uh, not the short, short list, because when I was doing Almost Recasted, I kind of picked one name, really, that I think of for the roles. And the one who I really had pinned down as Wesley, probably for a good couple of weeks before I ended up switching it over to get more of a comedic feel with uh, Jonathan Groff is I had Stephen Amell from the Arrow series. Okay, yeah, I could definitely see that as well. And uh, I wonder if that would have been a bit of a darker darker tone there. Exactly, I would have had to take that serious road and I wanted to keep it on the comedy side of things. That makes sense then, you know, with, with your choice. Uh, oh, actually, you know, I did have two choices for that because I also, or three choices for Wesley. Um, I also kind of thought of Sean Ferris from Never Back Down. I thought he was kind of a good-looking guy. And then one that probably wouldn't fit. So this was only a fleeting back thought. Back off, I'll take you on. Back <laughs> off, I'll take on anyone. The, uh, a fleeting thought was Justin Timberlake, who I do really like as an actor, but I think would have been, I don't know, too much for this role. Yeah, um, you know, obviously we, we know him from, from Trolls, you and I being fathers, and, and his music career with NSYNC. I'm not sure I would have loved that one, but uh, I'm, I think, you know, we both successfully went with some great people for, for that role. As far as Buttercup, I went with Naomi Scott, and I, I, I moved right along. I didn't have anybody as almost casted for that role. 
All right, well, when I had Stephen Amell selected, I also had already selected Buttercup. And as you know, I try to pair these actors and actresses together. Cohesive, yeah. And so for Stephen Amell's Buttercup, I didn't think Hayden Pentier would have worked as well. She works better with Jonathan Groff. So for Stephen Amell's Buttercup, I had Rachel McAdams. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see that. You know, she's one of my favorite actresses. Mean Girls, you know, Wedding Crashers, um, amongst a few. And she's, she's a hottie. Again, one of my favorites. I think she would have done well in that role if you would have chosen that path. For Humperdinck, uh, again, I know I mentioned trying to get that smarmy, punch-in-the-face type character. And so I wanted to go almost like a curveball route, taking somebody who has very minimal acting ability. Or not acting ability, that's the wrong way to say it. Acting career or whatever. And I went David Beckham initially. Wow. And uh, I ended up backing off and going with a real actor. I just felt like uh, Rob Lowe would be much better in the role. Yeah, I mean, you know, even though he's probably not done anything wrong, I think people see Beckham as a bit of a villain just because of how dashingly handsome that man is and and his wife is what what a catch i think they're basically douchier versions of tom and giselle yeah yeah i can definitely see that so i don't know how i would have felt about that but it, but it would have been bold of you for indigo actually i had uh, a couple of different characters i thought orlando bloom would be a really good indigo thinking of him from the pirates of the caribbean movies being more of a fencing type yep character i also thought of oscar isaac who was poe dameron in the new uh, star wars i thought it would be a very good indigo and then here's a name that we've heard and almost recasted for three straight episodes now i thought about dev patel as indigo and i just couldn't pull the trigger on it and i'm going to go more valderrama so uh, i actually looked at dev patel as well uh, for this role but uh, one that i thought about um, which obviously would have kind of warped my timeline the reason i couldn't go with this person as indigo is because i would have had to find someone much older than hugh grant for the six-fingered man but uh, my original thought for this character was javier bardem who amazing actor from the uh, no country for old men um, he was also the the villain in skyfall thought about him for a few moments and said i really can't make this work you know i think at some point i was like this would be a mega star but it just doesn't fit it it's kind of you know circle object into square hole man so i, I didn't end up driving down that road yeah he definitely plays about 50 years old and I yeah think that's that where it would have made it tough for the timeline he could actually would have been a good six-fingered man um i think yeah i mean you know thinking back that definitely could have could have made it work because he's been an antagonist in, in you know his his more recent successive uh, success films. Um, so I think that could have worked. I just think, you know, he had obviously that, that Spanish descent. I didn't know actually that the original actor, Mandy for, for Indigo, was not of Spanish descent. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I looked for someone that had that skin tone, that accent, the ability to, to play that role. And so, I mean, I am glad that we both ended up with Wilmer. Did you have anybody else for that? Uh, no, just that Orlando, Dev, yes. and Oscar. Yeah, yeah, those would be cool. For Fezzik, again, gentle giant, that's the main thing that I was trying to keep in my mind. First thought that popped in my head, Shaquille O'Neal, kind of is a gentle giant in real life. And he's funny, he's done a lot of comedy-type roles. But at the end of the day, I wanted to go with somebody, even though this is kind of a comedy, I want to go with somebody a little bit more serious than Shaq. Yeah, that definitely makes sense for Fezzik. I actually thought about Brad Garrett. I mean, you'd remember him from Everybody Loves Raymond. He's the big brother, the big goofy brother. I thought he had the gentle giant, the very deep voice, the intimidating stature. I thought that if I were recasting it with a bit of a, an, an older vibe, I think he would have been awesome in that role. But I, I went with, uh, again, Paul Wright, who, who is the big show in the ring. And I think size, stature, everything, I think he's probably the best fit for me. How about Vizzini? So for him, I had almost casted, again, I probably leaned too heavily in, into comedy here, but I thought about Zach Braff as well as Jonah Hill. I thought these guys you know, would have done well with their not being stunningly good looking, um, being kind of, especially you know Jonah and Kevin James, they're shorter, stouter, and again, neither one of them are really lookers. Zach Braff didn't really go with the size profile there. I just, again, was looking for somebody that was comedic and not someone who was stunningly good looking and, and may be able to, to lead some goons. This is kind of where you guys took that left turn back towards the comedy side of things. What, who I would have liked to have seen when you started off on that more of a serious road, if you're gonna go with Vizzini, I thought of Paul Giamatti who was in uh, Billions, and he was a uh, pig vomit in Private Parts. He was in The Negotiator. Again, short, bald, kind of chubby guy. Cinderella Man, right? He's the manager. Uh, is, is that Fred Claus as well? With yes. Vince Vaughn? Okay. Yep. yep, definitely another guy. Yeah. So he would have been a good serious if you're keeping the serious theme. For me, again, I was going comedy all the way with him. So the first thought I had was uh, Ken Young, I think, has that kind of annoying comedy Yes. Thing. I thought of David Faustino, who was Bud and Married with Children. Being another short, kind of annoying 
type guy. I thought of Jack Black. And then another guy that I'm determined to fit in somewhere, just like Dev Patel, is uh, Bill Burr. But I like Bill Burr so much that I want to give him a better role, so we're going to save him for later. Okay. I like the, the, the sound of some of those for sure. And I, I think uh, if I would have went with Paul Giamatti, I'm, I'm wondering how... Definitely wish, you know, I would have thought of his name as I was kind of looking at uh, castings because I do think that he would have maybe kept mine a bit more serious toned, um, you know, further on into my castings and and kept you more on the edge of your seat. And then as far as other recastings, I mean, Miracle Max, I knew I wanted Jerry Seinfeld. It was a done deal. But his wife, Valerie, I thought Julia Louise Dreyfus, it would be really funny to have the two of them being a married couple. But initially before I thought of her to go with Jerry Seinfeld, I thought of Amy Schumer. I think those would have been... uh funny um i didn't have any almost casted for for either of those characters i kind of went right into my comedy uh groove there with andy samberg and, and kate mckinnon and thought these guys you know, can throw on some some face paint or, or uh, prosthetics and they can crush the five to six minutes they're on screen and then they can give the film a further comedic boost and then as far as the grandfather the only other one i had uh, on there and it sounds like uh, based on your criticism of, of my harrison ford choice Sounds like maybe it would have uh, gotten some kinder reviews. Um, is William Shatner um, looking for someone who uh, age-wise would have obviously clearly fit into that grandfather role? Someone who has obviously a, a resume, you know, to die for. Um, you know, he is Captain Kirk from the Star Trek uh, films and TV show. I ended up going with uh, the more sandpapery uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah, I think I would have liked the Priceline Negotiator a little bit better. But yeah, I, I didn't go with anyone other. When I got the idea, I said, you know what? I, I want to kind of tip my hat to my grandmother for reading me stories every single night for probably uh, a decade when I would stay over her camp for a couple weeks uh, every summer. So I said, you know what? Who's a good female? So if I was going to say I had anybody else picked out, um, I want to say that it was all women. And I thought Jamie Lee Curtis has kind of a, a soft sounding voice. So I thought it should be good to read the story. Yeah, and I, I love the, the connection there for you, and then even the deeper connection that she's married to uh, an actor from the original film. So I think all in all, you know, so, some great potential castings for, from, from you and I in the Almost Casted. This was one of our more fun ones yet. I know you had a tougher time with this one. I know you had originally told me uh, as you were working on it that you hated your cast as you were doing it. So I think it's it's fun to have this one here for, for us and, and for the fans, and again, the timing couldn't be more convenient with the nation you know, being sparked and now talking about the potential of this movie being rebooted out there in, in the big world. That is the show. We appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. I did mention at the beginning. I'll mention it again here. Hit us up. If you want to tweet at us, it's at Recast the Podcast. Hit us up on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, facebook.com slash recastapodcast. Or you can email recastapodcast at gmail.com. We'll definitely reply. Uh, appreciate any feedback we can get. We'd love people voting on the casts. And not sure what the next movie is going to be. We'll discuss that. I might even think about putting out there, uh, getting a couple of movies from each of us and then putting it out there for the fan vote of which movie we do next. Yeah, that'd definitely be cool. Let's get some, uh, some interactions, some choices, and some more involvement. Um, we definitely appreciate the support so far, though. Thanks, guys.